everyone. This is Alan Schimmel, and you're watching DevOps Unbound. This is uh, episode two of DevOps Unbound, and on our show, which is, airs bi-weekly with a, a monthly roundtable open to the public, we, we explore topics in DevOps. Uh, you know, if it's, if it's DevOps related, it's fair game. Today's topic is DevSecOps, and I realize that DevSecOps has become sort of a mouthful. It's intrinsically linked into AppSec now and everything we do around that. We're going to explore today about really security. Whose job is it anyway? Right? Who Ultimately, there's a lot more developers, DevOps, testers than there are security people. And we, we increasingly rely on them to make sure our applications are secure, are being developed and released and maintained as securely as possible. And we've got a great panel of, of experts to talk about this today. I want to quickly mention, though, um, this is episode two. Episode one aired last uh, two weeks ago. And uh, we will be doing our monthly roundtable. So stay tuned for that. But let me now introduce you to our panel. Joining me first is founder and uh, CEO of Accelerated Strategies Group, my partner and friend, Mitch Ashley. Mitchell, welcome. Thank you, Alan. Great to be on with you and with this great panel. Yep. The rest of the panel, I'm going to just say their name and who they work for, and if you can give a little bit of your background. Um, let's first start with Andrew Vanderstock. Andrew, welcome, and if you can introduce yourself. Uh, good day. Uh, my name is Andrew Vanderstock. I'm the Executive Director of OWSP. Um, I was recently appointed to that role. I've been doing application security since 1998. Uh, when we first talked about application security, it was called mobile security because, well, it was app applets and ActiveX controls that were running in browsers. So it was a rather exciting and very different time. That took me back. <laughs> yes, it did. Uh, next, the one and only Caroline Wong. Caroline, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, Alan. Thank you so much for having me on today. My name is Caroline Wong. I am the Chief Strategy Officer at Cobalt.io. We're a company that builds security software. I've been in InfoSec now for 15 years, starting out at eBay and Zynga, uh, some of the original DevOps companies, if you will. Um, I also do a podcast called Humans of InfoSec, uh, and I'm a LinkedIn Learning Instructor for the OWASP Top 10. Um, almost 10 years ago now, I published a book called Security Metrics, A Beginner's Guide. Very cool. And a fantastic speaker, too, I may add. I love watching Carolyn present. And then last but not least, <coughs> excuse me, a holdover from our first episode of DevOps Unbound. Dr. Grigory Melnick, uh, Chief Product Officer at Tricentis. Grigory, welcome. Thank you, Alan. Thanks for having me back. And hello, everybody wherever you are in the world. Uh, yes, as, as Alan said, I'm the Chief Product Officer of Tricentis, the uh, continuous testing uh, uh, platform and uh, the company that, uh, that's building the testing tooling uh, for the future. And previously, I've, uh, um, I've been at uh, Splunk. So this is where actually a lot of my kind of security mindset has been uh, forged. Uh, also, uh, uh, MongoDB and uh, Microsoft. So uh, um, good to be here with this panel. Excellent. So let me let me start things off, and then we'll 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 be off and running. Andrew, as the executive director at OWASP, 
right? There was a time where clearly the the OWASP member, the user, the the person who was gonna who you were existing for was the security professional who was in charge of you know as you called it mobile app security and then of course appsec has become all the rage probably for the last at least 12 years right appsec is a lot of people say if it's not appsec it don't mean a thing when it comes to security how has the rise of devops devsecops as, as some call it some not how has that kind of changed who you serve or who does not you personally obviously but oh watch you know who, who do you guys cater to so that's actually really interesting. I had a conversation with Mark Curfee, the founder of OWASP, uh, a little while ago sure. as I was appointed. And the original thing the OWASP um, folks worked on was the developer guide, which... Uh, uh, it's the developer guide for developers. And the reality is, is that we missed. We stopped talking to developers. We became very, very internally focused. And we've converted... Um, the vast majority of the InfoSec folks uh, to the, fa the fact that apps are the firewall. Um, I've done almost all my pen tests through firewalls and over SSL. So the reality is, is that the application has always been the firewall. We should have been talking to developers much earlier than this. Um, my personal opinion is that, you know, the, the thing that OWASP has to do right now is to refocus on talking to developers and having tools and information they can actually use in their tool chain. Um, if we're constantly just having that internal, you know, uh, echo chamber conversation, uh, we will fail. And it's really important to me that we actually start doing more stuff like the OS dependency check, which can be pipelined, um, GitHub actions and things like that. Um, these are where we need to start focusing, not on PDFs. As the person who does the OS top 10 and the, the developer guide and the ASVS, PDFs are probably what we're famous for, but the reality is developers don't know of it, they don't use it. I really want us to get involved in Stack Exchange. Uh, the number of people who post to Stack Exchange just to copy and paste stuff, and that information is just wrong. It'd be really great for people like um, the volunteers and the chapters and the communities um, to get involved in things like Stack Exchange and other places where developers hang out. Excellent. That, I didn't realize that the original focus was developers. Carolyn, you're you're in a funny place because you, you know your chief strategy officer at a security tools company, and and of course, as you mentioned, you LinkedIn, not professor, LinkedIn teacher, or whatever the exact term is around you know. AppSec and OWASP, you know, how does that, you know, what Andrew said, how does that jive with what you guys, where you guys see the world? Yeah, so, you know, when I started my InfoSec career at eBay and Zynga, in both cases, these were companies that were running online operations 24 by 7 with millions of simultaneous users daily. And so it was always clear to us that we had to get it right when it came to talking with the developer. A couple of years before I began my career in InfoSec in 2003, the first version of the OWASP top 10 was released. Um, and right now, I wanna say we're on version six or so. Uh, Andrew has been spearheading uh, this project for a long time. Uh, and we're actually looking out the next revision coming out in February, 2021, 
if I look at the most recent version, which is 2017 RC2, and I compare that to the original OWASP Top 10 that came out in 2003, one of the things that's very striking to me is that at least half of the stuff is the same. So that says to me that on some level, some of these basic security fundamentals that I think AppSec practitioners understand are not either being implemented by developers and where's that disconnect? So I actually think that as an industry, AppSec tends to focus on sort of the hot and sexy things, which is like finding cool stuff and really interesting sort of sophisticated breaks. Um, but I think that if you were to look at, for example, the past year or so, you know, if you look at the 10 largest data breaches, um, I'd be willing to bet you that the majority of those occurred because of something that had to do with like a security 101 basic kind of thing gone wrong. And that tells me that we've been really focused on technology. And actually, the hard part is getting the people and the process to work out uh, together. So that's something uh, that I think that I think a lot about. Um, and I think it really speaks to the core of what we're addressing today, which is whose job is it? You know, a security person can find all the vulnerabilities that he or she wants until that security person is effective at communicating what the security vulnerability is to a developer who can actually fix it and convincing that individual that it's a priority enough to actually spend time remediating, then the code will never be more secure. So it's always needed to be a partnership. And I think that, you know, these days, because of things like the transition of software development methodologies from waterfall to agile to DevOps. I think that culturally we're beginning to see some changs. Mm. Just, yeah, I just want to highlight one of those oh, choices sorry, yeah, yeah, that you yeah. said. Realistically, the thing that I see uh, as the iOS top ten leader is it's self-referential. The things that people pay attention to is the things in the iOS top ten. And in fact, CWE is uh, the MITRE group are about to release the uh, CWE top 25 in a few weeks' time. And it'll look like the last one in 2011. And this is really sad because people are actually concentrating on these. What we really need is for developers and security people to work hand in hand. And I would like to see the security folks stop delivering PDFs and start delivering you know, pull requests. If you can fix the problem, you don't have to convince anyone. If you actually start talking in developers' uh, terms, and actually convince the product managers that this is the right thing to do, we're going to be a lot more successful than just saying, look, your baby is very ugly. Andrew, bless your heart. Bless your heart. <laughs> it's something I've advocated for. It's not that necessarily security people have to become the expert software developers, but I think we've sort of done this to ourselves by thinking security as a penetration activity, right? Something that we're mm -hmm. testing from the outside. I mean, now we're talking about very porous software architectures and API, API security and, and Kubernetes container security. It's, it's, it's a much more different world than even five or 10 years ago. So what I've advocated for, and it's a little bit scary at times, but advocated for 
software, for security people to learn software architecture, whether they learn how to code or not, but they need to understand what's going on inside the inside the M and M as well as what the the outer hard shell, if you will. And uh, you know, one way to do that is is to bring software people into security groups. You don't have to go learn it all yourself. You can learn from other people and and bring in skills as well. Uh, but to your point, you know, it's not an after the fact thing. It's got to be right there in the flow in the process. If it gets fixed as soon as you find it. Because it's a priority grade. If it's a day, two, week, month later, forget about it. It goes into the prioritization process, and you know it may be months or quarters before it gets fixed. Gregory, we're all looking at you, man. <laughs> you- yeah, I was ready to jump in just up to <laughs> Carolyn because what she said absolutely resonated with me, and then what uh, uh, my my other esteemed colleagues just uh, uh, added to it. Uh, um, uh, you know, uh, ring the bell because you know I always looked at the uh, uh, at the security, and again for a very very long time I was focusing predominantly on the developer audience, uh, uh, driving engineering and the uh, development teams, platforms, tools, and all of that, and uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, um, uh, designing for security is something that's been a you know focus of the of the teams that I was part of, uh, starting from. You know, as early as back at the beginning of the uh, uh, century with the uh, Microsoft, if you remember the early days, uh, uh, having the disastrous year 2000, 2001 with lots of worms and, and, and breaches and all that. And then, you know, the, the, the back then CTO, Craig Mundy, and, you know, uh, had the internal initiative that later turned into the actual, you know, uh, company-wide uh, letter from Bill Gates, uh, Bill G himself, uh, and that was the beginning of uh, what's known as a trustworthy uh, computing initiative, which was company-wide. Again, we're talking about tens and tens of thousands of people had been, you know, uh, trained and uh, uh, like regularly, not just once, but, uh, you know, on a regular basis on the, uh, on the fundamentals of uh, uh, security, on design for security, the whole life cycle we even didn't talk about sdlc software development life cycle we were talking about secure software development life cycle and all the practices that that came from it and it actually bared you know the the the, the fruit right because in general you you look at the history and how much more secure uh you know windows and microsoft uh, has uh, has become that's actually you know the the, the results of those early initiatives right so by the same token i think that when we're talking about security and whose job is it anyway, we need to start, you know, from the grounds up. And, and maybe even before the, the junior developers, maybe even at school, right? If you think about uh, software engineering schools, boot camps, whatever format you are learning, um, you're coding, uh, it's super important to, uh, to be introduced to those uh, secure uh, practices, to be aware of, of the, you know, patterns and anti-patterns, right? Like, uh, I think IEEE and ACM, the official ones that define the curriculum, they had included for years the topic of software security uh, in there. But uh, realistically, how many graduates of computer science degree has actually, uh, you know, uh, dived uh, somewhat deeply in it, right? It's amazing that now it's been so many, what, I don't know, two, three decades that we talk about, you know, design for security notions and trustworthy computer initiatives, and we still see what... Carolyn said, the top 10 breaches, you still see something as, fun, as, as basic as a SQL injection attack, right? Cross-site scripting, all that stuff that is almost, you know, I view it as part of a developer hygiene, right? It's just something that you do fundamentally. It's like these days, 
it's not something that developers, we don't even have these conversations, should developers write their own tests or not? Well, by the same token, there should be no conversation, should developers think about threat modeling? Should developers think about, uh, you know, various uh, mitigation strategies? Should they get, you know, involved more with the security specialist when it comes to defining or going through the release gate? And yet, and yet when, you, when you look around, those secure practices still hasn't made into, you know, the, the, the mainstream as much as I would have liked it to, uh, to happen. So uh, I don't know what, what you guys think. If there's some other ways to, uh, to it, it just feels like people start looking at it only when the breach occurs and then you're facing a massive litigation, right? It's like, but it's too late, right? We need to think about all this ahead of time. And of course, everything that all has to do in another um, you know, organizations and kind of advocating for security, promoting the secure mindset, this whole movement of DevSecOps, I absolutely welcome it because anything that we can do to make developers and everybody on the team to think about security early on as opposed to the afterthought is a good thing. So I have a question for the panel. You know, it's, these, these vulnerabilities have been around, as you mentioned, Cynthia and Andrew. Uh, Caroline, excuse me. Caroline, sorry, uh, forever. And, you know, it's not like we don't know what they are. You know, we have really smart ID environments that, you know, will bring up the objects and what all the methods and, you know, parameters are. Isn't there something we can do either through AI or just in the tool side? So when we're creating software, we have fewer of those basic vulnerabilities. Is that... Spoken like a real security person. I, I think that sounds too magic bullet to me. But Andrew, go ahead. I want to give Caroline some time to answer this because there's actually some things I want to talk about education underneath uh, from Grigori's talk before. But fundamentally, we need to take the OS top 10 to frameworks and say, these are the things you must not have. End of story. Okay. Done. Okay. You must not have these. And then the developers don't have to think about those other things. And then they can use the developer tools like... OS Cortocopia, which is like the elevation of privilege game that Microsoft came up with. Do you know what? The reason why we do this again and again and again is that we allow people to use insecure frameworks and they're not given the guidance they need. If we had engineering students who didn't know about, you know, um, wind loads and things like that, we'd never have a bridge that stood up. Yet we allow computer science and software engineering students to graduate without taking one single semester of security. That's why we established an education Amen. committee before. And we have to get people to actually do it. The ACM syllabus is okay, but it is focused on crypto. And we don't need a lot of crypto folks. We need a lot of people who know how to engineer security properly. Now, I want to hand over to Carolyn. Thank you, Andrew. And, you know, Mitch, I love your question because I think that one of the things that security leaders must think a lot about is what combination of machines and humans to bring into their application security programs. So anyone who's only using people is clearly missing out on efficiencies that can be found by machines or implemented, as Andrew was saying, with patterns and, and, and pre-written uh, you know, things that people should just be using, HSTS. And anyone that, that's only using machines is on, on the other side of the coin, missing out on entire classes of vulnerabilities, you know, so I think that ideally, you know, security professionals are working with development teams to use scanners in order to find low hanging fruit, and then using that information to provide context for analyzing the risk that's posed by those issues. 
Um, I think it's absolutely a hand-in-hand -hand sort of thing, even if one of those hands is a computer hand. And, um, you know, kind of the more that we can do via automation and by simply using secure libraries, using secure frameworks, you know, that allows the sort of precious and often more expensive human technical skills to be focused on things that can't be found by machines. But finding things like business logic bypasses, race conditions, chained exploits, um, those are the kinds of things that people should really be focused on, you know, not things that can be solved by, again, simply in quotes, because to get folks to actually do it turns out to be a, a whole another challenge in of itself. Uh, but, but, but I really do think it's very much the mix of both. Agreed. I love the framework idea too, Andrew. And thank you, Caroline. Sorry to mispronounce your name <laughs> earlier. You Just know, think I, I, sweet Caroline, like Neil Diamond. Uh, and there you go. Forget it. What a wonderful way to remember your name. <laughs> you know, I wonder too, if you layer on top of, you know, putting into the framework, um, security people love sort of standards like a NIST framework or something like that. If there was something that, okay, all of our frameworks must meet this, right? And then, then that's going to get kind of into the process and the psyche of the organization to say, okay, we're only using software that meets blah, whatever that is. seems like that, that's one, one more element that would help with the adoption of standardization of that. Is that, is that practical for something like that to happen? So I've really been pushing for the idea of the generally accepted security principles, the equivalent to GAAP in the accounting world. Um, there are some fundamentals that we should be trying to do. Um, the very, 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 very first NIST special publication had the OS top 10 in it. It was written in 1976. Wow. It was classified. Really? When it was un yeah, when it was unclassified and I found it, um, I found it as I was preparing the OS Top 10 2017, the only thing that we don't have in the OS Top 10 is race conditions. Those guys had race conditions in their first one in 20, sorry, 1976 when there was just mainframes and they only had one processor and they did things in batch. And quite frankly, for them to think that far forward, it shows how early those folks were thinking. However, I think we need to make sure that we give the developers time to think about you know, the, the desire for security. I just want to touch back on what Grigori said before. And I think this is where strategy comes into it. When Microsoft, when Bill Gates wrote that memo, they then followed it up with action, executive action. They reset the Longhorn build. Windows 2003 server release two is a very different beast in terms under the hood than the original 2003. And what was released as Vista was very, very different to what XP was. And that then created Windows 7. So quite frankly, it was, yes, we need support from the top and we need people at the bottom to understand what this really means. But the fact that they had executive support means that things like SQL Server just doesn't have remotely exploitable bugs today. You know, that is a really good outcome and it's because of executive support. Agreed, agreed. Do, so, you know, we, we, live in an, we live in a world right now where, quite frankly, without modern applications that we've been surviving on these past months with COVID and everything, imagine how ugly it would be without them. But do we really, do we really have that executive support uh, 
maybe not to the level of Bill G and Microsoft and the trustworthy initiative. But Carolyn, you you know at Cobalt, you're dealing with dozens of organizations, right? Andrew, you know at OWASP, hundreds of organizations. Grigori Tricentis has how many, you know, customers that you guys are providing hundreds as well. Do you really see that top-down support at most organizations? Or was that Microsoft thing sort of a, you know, catching a firefly in a jar kind of thing, a lightning in a bottle, right? You're not, we just don't see that, unfortunately. So I'll, I'll tell you what, a lot of times when I think about security, I kind of go back to like the principal concept that the only reason security matters is when you have value to protect. And so these days, naturally, a lot of value is moving from the physical to digital worlds. Cybersecurity is more important. Um, I'd actually really like to challenge something that Mitch and Andrew put out with regards to sort of an all-encompassing security framework that says everyone's got to do this. Having worked on the ISO 27034 standard, I'll actually ask if anyone on this panel has even heard of the ISO 27034 standard. Cool. So that's great, Alan. <laughs> so... I actually tried to provide advice to that when it was coming out and I couldn't because I wasn't part of the national organization and that's the reason it failed. You know, there, there are a lot of different things, right? And I think that the standards route is one that we've been trying and I think that sometimes it works better than others. What's really going to work is the market route. So when Bill Gates wrote that memo, my understanding is that Bill did not do it for any sort of noble pursuit. He did it because he recognized that if Microsoft was going to continue building security vulnerabilities into their products, that they were going to lose customers, that they were going to lose market share. And so what's kind of cool that I see happening when I talk to our customers like Verifone and MuleSoft and healthcare organizations and HubSpot and financial organizations is that due to the proliferation of cloud and SaaS, today it's not like you have a CIO who goes and plays golf and has steak dinners with their one big IT software vendor. You know, now anyone in an organization with a credit card and an internet connection buy something and it becomes shadow IT. So the whole concept between these business relationships of trust has been transformed. And what you see is tons of software companies using tons of other software companies. So every software company is also a buyer of other software products and services. And that business transaction requires a level of trust where I'm seeing customers asking for things like a penetration test in order to prove that there's some adequate level of security before a business engagement begins. So my perspective is actually that frameworks are cool and great. Education is cool and great. And I think it's really got to be the market that drives the power and the adoption and the prioritization of security. You know, Caroline, there was also, thinking back to the Microsoft example Andrew was talking about, uh, I think an important factor in that was Apple because they were marketing very heavily as a secure... That, that was it, yeah. Microsoft was afraid so of Apple. competition, you know, and I hate to use the Vista word, 
but you know there was some pretty crappy software that had a lot of security vulnerabilities in Microsoft's code, and that's it was it was the market as you said, but it was also competition because that's when Apple was doing pretty well on early rising up in the in the laptop market. Maybe there's some group of vendors, companies that band together and say, we've got better software because it's more secure and that now becomes more attractive. I don't yeah, I don't know. Something like that might happen too. So we just got involved with the sorry, just um, really quickly. We just got involved with the Linux Foundation and have just established the Open Source Security Foundation, the OpenSSF. And it's early days yet, but I see that as actually being way more successful than, for example, ISO 27000. Not 27,034, which has got very low adoption. Um, but 27,000 bakes in a risk-based approach, which says the business needs to only do that that it thinks that it's right, going to really hurt it. And unfortunately, that then becomes whack-a-mole, whereas the OpenSSF works from the other way around. And I think, you know, with the participating members of GitHub, Google, IBM, Red Hat, and others... Um, and obviously OWASP, we're going to be able to do a lot more there than I think in a traditional standard-setting body. I, I wasn't aware of that organization, Andrew. That sounds fantastic. We're going to look into it here and see what we can do to help get behind that. Really, really good stuff. Um, Grigori, I, I, I know you wanted to talk, and uh, I'm going to give you a chance before I jump in. Oh, no, I, I, I was just going to... Uh uh, kind of uh, uh, sum up. So we, we, we talked about the importance of frameworks. We talked about uh, the importance of uh, uh, market forces uh, uh, driving these uh, secure initiatives. Now the, 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 the uh, new organizations that have been put in place, but I am still convinced that it's the developer's uh, mindset that needs to be foremost in order for us to be, you know, winning in this uh, space. So uh, uh, doing whatever it takes to uh, take them take us, the developers, the responsibility for, uh, uh, for security. It's just like somebody else's job. Oh, I have this ProdSec uh, group that, you know, that, that looks at the metrics and the static scans and then occasionally does some kind of, a, you know, a, a penetration testing exercises or whatever and then sends me a bunch of, uh, bunch of reports, many of which uh, I'll, I'll try to justify as by design. No. It's just like as I am as I'm doing my job day in and day out to be thinking about uh, the security, to be thinking about okay, what are the different ways how it can be uh, breached, and uh, and again making it part of my daily routine. I think is important. Uh, I can tell you internally at Tricentis, I kind of uh, I'm I'm been in the process of launching this trustworthy computing initiative because we we have opportunity to improve in this space big time. But I can tell you even with some some um, you know easy things where you know, we do uh, uh, things like um, uh, hackathons, right? Not everybody participates in the hackathon, right? So what we did at MongoDB, I actually loved it, and it actually did require a little bit of effort, but uh, we had our uh, uh, product security person put together this type of competition, kind of catch the flag, where you would actually have this increasing uh, set of uh, security challenges where you would have to go and, uh, you know, break in, identify all these different holes, and then, of course, reflect on that. And actually that uh, raised awareness of many, 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 many developers. So I'm just thinking about what can we do with, uh, you know, the small wins, small initiatives, not necessarily at the level of defining the major uh, standards and pulling the big initiatives, but in, in this kind of a baby steps to, uh, uh, to, uh, to move the needle, I think is important. The other I, 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 I got it. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Gregory. 
I was just trying to get my next place in line, but you go. Ah, okay. No, but the other point I was going to make is that I also think that uh, for the future of, uh, of the, you know, the internet becoming safer and secure and all of our systems, uh, the, the other uh, uh, dynamics or the other uh, um, initiative that I've seen happening uh, uh, and, 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 and getting more and more popular, this whole uh, collaborative um, testing or collaborative secure, uh, you know, uh, that, that uh, companies like uh, HackerOne is doing by engaging the, uh, uh, the white uh, uh, hat uh, 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 hackers. In, uh, in, in, in kind of uh, inviting them. In fact, inviting them to go and, and launch the attack, but for the purpose of learning and raising awareness. And even, you know, if you, if you look at Department of Defense and Pentagon inviting hackers to hack into the Pentagon systems, I mean, if, if you think about it, 20 years ago, that wasn't heard of, right? But what they're doing there is that actually they, 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 they're, they're making sure that... Uh, uh, you get all these, um, you know, uh, diverse perspectives that you are not only looking through the narrow angle of your security department, but this broader community at large uh, participate in. I, uh, I, I think that th there's some, uh, some hope at the end of that tunnel with the right level of engagement with those uh, collaborative testers, white hat testers, that the overall security posture of the internet of the world will be improved. So I think bug bounties have certainly been a game changer. I don't think anyone uh, disputes that. But I'm going to tell you something I've learned in my 20 plus years in security. And that is security, as much as we may want to think of it, is not a different animal than, than many other disciplines within IT and in business in general. And market forces, market forces rule. Right? So security becomes important when the business decides security is important. Right? I remember you know, having a conversation. I did a podcast with the CEO of uh, MongoDB and Couchbase and Rich Mogul, who I think most of us on the panel probably know Rich. And uh, this is 10, 12 years ago on, on uh, Network World I was writing. And I asked those two CEOs, I said, does no SQL stand for no security, right? Because we don't see a lot of security in the, in the this, this is a long time ago. And they both said, they agreed, they said, Alan, we will build security in, more security into our products when our customers demand it. Right now, customers are more enthralled with having this new type of, you know, non-relational database, NoSQL, you know, database that allows us to be more flexible, faster, scalable, and all of that, we'll get to security, right? A couple months later, MongoDB had a pretty decent breach. Uh, Microsoft's a great point. Apple was starting to kick their butt, and the, and the word on the street was, even though Microsoft gave you free AV, maybe, you didn't need AV on Apple. Remember those commercials? I don't need AV. I run a Mac. And and so it, it's over and over. When we make security important, you know, Gregory, you guys are the leading continuous testing provider in the world. When, when your customers start saying, Gregory, we got to test for security as well, because that's part of our quality, right? That's the Q and QA. And we, dem we need Tricentis to give us those tests. And you go to companies like a Cobalt or you go to the, you know, the organizations that Andrew's talking about and stop building that in there because your customers demand it, 
Not because it's the right thing to do. Not because it's a nice thing to do. Because it's demanded. Then we'll, then you'll see how quick developers take security seriously. It's and the it market. is happening. Alan, it is happening. The customers are, absolutely, they are you know, demanding, uh, uh, demanding this. They, 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 they want to see the, uh, the evidence and uh, they want to <coughs> see, they, they, they want to have the, the, the tools. And again, everything from, you know, security testing and static analysis, but they're a lot smarter, you know, uh, augmented with uh, ML to dynamic analysis and actor-based models and, you know, penetrations and all of it and all the way to compliance right and a lot of uh, other things and and you're absolutely right i mean with back to the days of mongodb when the initial releases were not very secure but because the idea they were optimizing for the wrong thing and this is what i fear was a lot of they're optimizing for uh, adoption it's like get me as many users as possible how do you get as many users as possible you lower the entry barrier now if you lower the entry barrier then automatically that means that you're sacrificing some security right just like, again, allowing and opening up the ports on local host with MongoDB and all of it in the old days, that's what had happened. Now, all of that is being tightened. You know, you have the, uh, the security at rest. You have security, you know, uh, in, in transit, they're doing all kinds of phenomenal stuff with uh, uh, encryption, field level encryption, all of it. But it took like a decade to get to it, right? When you are at the beginning, you're putting something in there and you're trying to... Uh, uh, you know, uh, to, to win in that race to, to get more of the, 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 the magic number of miles, right, the monthly active users, a lot of companies and a lot of startups, unfortunately, tend to sacrifice uh, security for that uh, speed to market and uh, uh, user acquisition, and then it bites them later, right? So again, if there's some way to, uh, to raise the awareness and to think about it early on so that you don't end up with the, uh, you know, unpleasant situations later on, I think that's, uh, that's something that could change the world. Agreed. Panel, we are, <clears throat> we're getting near the end of our time, and, and we have such shy wallflowers here. No one wants to talk. <laughs> I, so I know how long it's going to take us to wrap up. I'm going to give you each to a closing, if you will. Like, we're practicing for the debates here. Um, we're going to give you each a chance to, to leave the audience with the, the most important thing you want them to leave. And Andrew, also... The, is it called the Open Source Security Foundation, OSSF? Open SSF, yeah. So Open the SSF? Yeah, the Linux is, Foundation. Is there a website yet it. for that? Uh, go to the Linux Foundation first, and then you'll find it. It's one of their uh, initiatives. I don't know if there's a special site for it. All right. Love to hear more about that. But, um, Mitchell, why do you want to start off, and we'll... Well, I don't, you, your, your screen's different than mine. But on my screen, it goes Mitchell, Gregory, Andrew, and we'll let Caroline bring it home. Okay, great. I, I'll make mine brief. I'm actually very optimistic, and I'm, I mean this with all sincerity, that listening, people like Caroline and Gregory and Andrew, just some pretty brilliant people that are thinking about this, and all of you had a different but also shared some perspectives. And so I'm hopeful that uh, we're going to make some progress here in the near future. So thank you for working on this problem. That's what I have to offer. Thanks, Mitchell. Grigori? So I, I wish I actually uh, wore a different shirt today. I had a t-shirt from uh, Splunk and you know, they have some uh, clever uh, uh, slogans there, but uh, one of them said, ignorance is not a bliss. And, mm -hmm. and that's my message to all of the developer community. You know, ignorance is not a bliss. Learn security 
uh, get the security mindset embedded, uh, you know, from the get-go, from as early days as possible. The, the engineer and managers think about it uh, accordingly and embed security into your uh, teams early on. And then uh, uh, what, uh, what Andrew said earlier, I, I absolutely sign up for it, and, and, I, and I love that this whole notion on the side of the security specialists, security experts, when you're coming in, don't send me PDF reports of, you know, 275 pages and 722 vulnerabilities. Pull requests for the win. Pull request wins today. Pull requests, you know, really, really work. Everything else is just to talk. So uh, again, if, if, if security specialists can get more into that uh, rhythm and, uh, you know, be more, more embedded and more tuned to what the developers uh, uh, want and need, I think uh, uh, jointly uh, we will, again, we will definitely make a difference. So thanks. Thank you, Gregory. Andrew. So many, many years ago, we wrote uh, the OS developer guide and then I did the OS top 10. And I realized telling people what not to do was exactly the wrong approach. We need to tell people how to do what they want to do better, enable secure business. Um, so the application security verification standard, which I work on, is a set of tests. It's literally written for developers. It's literally written to be testable. And this is actually, I think, really important. We need to change the mindset from a negative, you shouldn't do that, to a positive, how about doing it this way? Because sometimes the developers have a better idea altogether. And we just don't know. But many security folks have the mindset, I know better than you, but they're not security, they're not the software developers, they don't know. We need to have a conversation together. And I want to make sure that we're bringing in developers into the conversation and not treating them as, uh, you know, people who don't know that much. We don't know that much either. And I would like for people to have that bi-directional conversation in a positive, not negative fashion. Fantastic. Caroline, it's all yours. All right, so the thing that I'd like to leave folks with today is I'd invite folks to check out the 2020 State of Pen Testing Report, which I wrote and co-authored with my colleague, Vanessa Sauter. Uh, one of the topics that we dive into pretty deep in this report is sort of the relative capability of machines and humans to find different kinds of web app security vulnerabilities. In addition to drawing upon more than 2,500 penetration tests, the data of which exists in the Cobalt platform, and Andrew, I did connect with your colleague, Eric, so we're going to be donating some data to the next OWASP Top 10 project. But in addition to that, we also surveyed more than 100 practitioners in security development, operations, and product across a wide range of industries. And the really good news that I'd like to leave folks with today is that the majority of respondents, in fact, 78% reported a strong relationship between the security and engineering teams. And we do expect that to grow in the future. I, I sincerely hope so. Guys, you know, I, someone much smarter than me once told me that when you, you want to impress people and you get in a meeting, you know, you know, you got a real great group when everyone there is smarter than you. And um, so thank you all. I really felt like we had an amazing, what amazing brain power on this one. I want to thank you all for joining and, and contributing. Um, we will try to put in the notes on, on this one, some of the links to a lot of the, uh, sites that were mentioned reports that were mentioned, etc. Um, we'd love to have you back on, you know, maybe, 
at some point in the next month or two, we'll we'll do a roundtable on this topic. We'll add another person or two. Caroline, I know I had spoken to Chenzi actually, Chenzi Wang about coming on. So I would, she, because I, I like listening to Chenzi talk about security. But anyway, and we'll open it up. To, yep, we'll open it up to the public for questions, and um, it'll be a great time. But for now, guys, thank you so much, Andrew. Best of luck with the new ED position there, and I know they they picked the right man for this job. So make us proud. Keep making us proud. Dr. Gregori, we'll see you soon, hopefully, on another DevOps Unbound. Okay. And Mitchell, as always, thanks so much. We'll be in touch. This is Alan Schimmel. Many thanks to Tricentis for actually sponsoring DevOps Unbound. Couldn't do it without their sponsorship and help. And uh, we'll see you in two weeks with another episode of DevOps Unbound. Have a great day, everyone. Mm -hmm.